Isn't it great to know that God likes the prayer as much as any preaching? Matter of fact, he likes it better because prayer is us asking for his help. I get in the way when I'm just doing my best to deliver the mail, if you will. So, hey, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. Uh, We're going to pick up with where we left off. I normally do a Thanksgiving message, but that election really got in the way, I tell you. Um, I had to preach something about it because America was so mixed up and eyes on all the wrong things that me and a lot of other pastors that I'm friends with said we had to scrap. And and so I I preached on the kingdom come from Mark chapter 1 a couple of weeks back, and then last week I had to do a little bit of a, a recap because we still... We're seeing so many things that um, there's bitterness and uh, the flesh and all the things that we see. And so because of that, uh, to finish this part of Galatians, I, did, I can't let it go into December, so we're going to finish it today. But instead of a Thanksgiving message, you've got to hear what I'm thankful for, at least to see. And so I hope that our, our fellowship afterward will fill in the rest of that. But uh, we want to pick up with where we left off, and I do believe there's a lot to be thankful for. Uh, even with what we'll be seeing here in Galatians 5. I'm going to reread verses 1 through 15. Um, We really just covered one, and then the rest of it we're going to break it down in the time we have left. Starting with verse 1, Galatians 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And that's the truth. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Father, we ask now that your spirit your spirit that was in the worship, your spirit that was in the prayer, and your spirit now that is in your word would open our minds that we would receive that which you have preordained even before time that we would receive here today. Lord, may you remove me from any part of the equation that Jesus Christ and him alone is glorified and honored, and that we would all, including me standing here, hear directly from you. And Lord, we'd be changed and transformed. We need to grow from glory to glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, um, Paul has been a very, very quick review. Paul has been continually uh, making the case to the Galatians. Remember that they had come to a pure faith. They had come to salvation. And then somewhere along the way, they bought into a false teaching that Jesus was not enough, that the blood of Jesus was not enough, that the cross was not enough, that simply asking him to be Lord and Savior and transform the life was not enough, that they would need to go back to the Mosaic law, the same things that were given to the children of Israel in that dispensation of time. And and truly, during that time, when Moses was given the law, the ceremonial things were required. They, They really could not eat certain foods. During that time, they really did have to be circumcised That was a requirement. The the Sabbath had to be on the seventh day. 
You couldn't have Sabbath on a Sunday like we do now. It had to be on the seventh day. And so all of the things that took place under the Mosaic law, indeed those things were required for the children of Israel until, and here was the big, the big clincher. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? There when he cried out, what happened to the veil in the temple? It ripped right down the middle. And it was a picture that God was ripping up the old covenant, not, not that the old covenant isn't eternal, it is, but as a requirement because, again, the old covenant and the new covenant, they're in perfect harmony. But as the old covenant as a requirement that, think about the old covenant. In the, in the temple, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, right? Try, try marching yourself into the Holy of Holies before the cross. It wouldn't go well for you, would it? Now, after that, we enter into the Holy of Holies by what? By grace. That's how we enter in. We don't enter in because we were circumcised. We don't enter in because we didn't eat certain shellfish. We don't enter in because we never ate bat, which is really easy for me to stay away from. How about you? <laughs> there were requirements that I have no problem in this day saying, yep, I'm not going to eat a seagull, not anytime soon. Horse meat? No, no, it has to have a clove. You know, that, that's not attractive either. But some of the things are, right? If you like shrimp, you don't have to worry about breaking the law anymore, right? Go ahead and eat the shrimp. <laughs> Got a shrimp lover here. You can still eat those things, now, or you can now. You couldn't before. But when Paul met the Galatians, at first, they just received the liberty, and they were so glad to be saved. And they were like, many of you, when you got saved, just telling everybody. And then all of a sudden, the air got let out when they were told, oh, by the way, you can still tell these people, but you better be telling them, this dietary, has to, you got to come into this dietary restriction. you got to worship on this day. Well, we like the first day, because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Sorry. Well, do we have to be circumcised? Yes, you do. But I'm 43. That's not a fun thing to hear either. But, you know, the, so all of these things. And Paul says, who robbed you of the freedom that you were given? And now you're going to be just a religious rule keeper. You know, the world hates when people are just religious and pious, don't they? They want us to be authentic. But you can't be authentic unless you've been set free. And so this is what Paul is writing to, and says that inevitably, when you go back under bondage, it never produces love, it produces something else. You ever notice people that actually used to kind of walk in grace, but then they, then they read a couple of scriptures, and it became their pet laws, and they try and enforce them on you too, right? I've had people tell me these things, they, you know, you can't do, you know, you shouldn't even be teaching them this, that, and the other unless you, you know, have you not read Leviticus? I'm like, yes, I've read Leviticus. And I love Leviticus, but I understand the new covenant. And we've been set free from all of the, you know, there's things, you know, it's, adultery still sin, right? Lying still sin. And the, the, the fundamental things that God says, these things, they, those don't go away. But the Mosaic law that was given in the nation state of Israel, those things, Jesus said, you've been released now to serve me. And this is why we are calling this uh, series well, last week and today, Liberty and Love. Because God's liberty was given that we would manifest love. For God so what? Loved the world. Not that he lawed the world. Loved the world. So let's take a look at where we left off. Now, just by way of quick review, I'm not going to go through these, but just, uh, so, you, just so you have um, an idea of where we left off. I'm not going to go through these, but we looked at 10 things, 10 things we've been freed from. Some of you probably wrote these down. If you didn't write them down, you can go out to our Facebook site. I think you go back a few days, and you'll see that they are listed out there. These 10 things we set, we've been set free from. Now, we've been set free from other things. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just simply saying that definitively we have been set free if we walk in that freedom. But we can actually say no to the freedom and go back and put ourselves in chains, which is not what the Holy Spirit would have us do. But that we looked at what we call real freedom and things we've been freed from. The next we want to look at is what Paul warns of here, and it's a real danger. Starting in verse 1, he said, uh, Do not become entangled again with a yoke of bondage. 
uh, if someone once was an alcoholic, they don't ever want to go back there again, right? You don't want to go back to certain things that you were in bondage to. If somebody was addicted to drugs, they don't want to go back there before. People lose their jobs, they lose marriages, and all of these things because of these uh, uh, addictions and bondage. But similarly, uh, we can go back to the bondage of religion. And God has not saved us to be in religion. He saved us to be in what? Relationship. Vertical relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not religion. There's a lot of religion. I've met very miserable religious people. And they're full of stress, and they're full of anger, and they're full of just finger-pointing. And some of that's even in the church. I'm not just talking about the religions that are out there, the many isms that are in the world. Now, it's clear that if you look at some, like the radical jihadists of ISIS, they're very religious, but they don't seem happy to me. Do they to you? No, they're full of hate. They actually think their God is pleased with their hate, and he's not pleased with their hate. But he's not pleased with anyone else that names the name of Christ that's full of bitterness and just kind of uh, difficult to be around because the danger of going back under religion is instead of making us instruments of God's grace, we become like hammers, right? And everything's a nail. The Paul says, indeed, I say to you in verse 2, I say to you, if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Now, Paul actually circumcised Timothy. Timothy was half Jewish. He circumcised Timothy, why? Not because of the law. He circumcised Timothy because Timothy was going to have to minister to a Jewish population, and he didn't want it to be a hindrance. Remember Paul said, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the Greek I became a Greek, right? In a certain respect, if you're a Christian led by the Holy Spirit, when I go to other countries, I want to respect their culture, right? Because I have a much better chance of reaching them if I have a, not a fake respect, but a legitimate respect of the culture. And in this country, we've got a lot of cultures, and the more respect you have for them, the more ends you're going to have to talk to people and to actually minister to people. So Paul was saying to Timothy, hey, I just don't want it to be a hindrance. It's not it's not, you're not saved by the circumcision, but if I, have, if I send you to a synagogue, what are the first, they are going to have a problem with you teaching and you haven't been circumcised. So by practicality, it made a lot of sense for Paul to do that. But it wasn't a requirement. But these Galatians were now told they had to do these things, and this is a real danger. He said, now Christ profits you nothing if you're trusting in the works of the flesh. I testify that everyone who becomes circumcised, he is debtor to keep the law. So Paul says, now if you're going to keep one part of the law, are you ready to keep all of it? And can you keep all of it? Understand that our salvation, our salvation gives us an immediate opportunity, doesn't it? First, to know God and, and to be delivered from sin and from death. It gives us a wide open door to the peace of God. You know, if any man needs peace, God says, come to me, right? He's not trying to withhold peace from us, he gives us an open door. But the salvation that we receive, the peace that we can receive, it also presents when we get saved, we get immediate opposition too. We get some open doors from God, but we get immediate opposition. And it can be obvious or it can be very subtle. You ever had subtle opposition? You kind of didn't recognize it at first. The opposition we face after we've come to Christ, when I got saved in 1995, it was not smooth sailing ever since. Matter of fact, I warned people when they first get saved, I said, as soon as you get saved, Satan will light fires around you. And you'll want to bail. But if you're saved, God won't let you bail. You'll want to bail, but he won't let you. You will have fires lit around you. You'll face opposition first from your own self because you still have the flesh until we get to heaven. How many of you realize that? That's why, that's why the marketers around Christmas, they're going to do great because they know how fleshly, I need that, I need that. Oh, yeah, it's about Jesus. I need that. I need, oh, yeah, it's about Jesus. I need that. I need that, right? We face opposition from ourselves either by temptation. We also, uh, temptation or deception, but we also face opposition from the enemy. Tax. Persecutions. Paul mentions this. He says, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Paul was still receiving the opposition of the enemy. 
we have these dangers that are real. We have a continuous danger. As long as you're saved, you will never stop having dangerous attacks from the enemy and dangerous things that your own flesh will kind of self-deceive. We self-deceive ourselves and think we rationalize that this is okay. So the dangers really never leave. It's kind of like if you, um, if you work for Dominion Power, you kind of recognize that you work on power lines. Your job is dangerous forever, as long as you're still doing it, right? Well, I don't have to worry about putting on the gloves anymore because I've done this enough times. Would, would that be a wise thing to ever do? Guys that work on power lines, you see them drape the thing over the, you know, it's like this big rubber thing. They drape it over there. They've got these, uh, you know, gloves on and everything, and they know which things to touch and say, well, I've, I've done this plenty of times. Don't need to worry about that anymore. No, we have a continuous danger. That's why the Bible says to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're always going to have Satan trying to either take us back into bondage or take us off the tracks. These dangers that we're in continuous danger of. Number one, temptation. There's in, in the in the Galatians case, it was the temptation to go back to religiosity. And there is that temptation because sometimes religion is easier than walking in the Holy Spirit. A lot of people are more comfortable following a, a little short list of do's and don'ts than prayerfully walking through life, dependent on the Holy Spirit. The work of the Spirit is far greater. Now, the do's and don'ts, God will still work those in with the Spirit, but just trying to do those in the flesh, Right? A lot of people are comfortable with that. All right, so let me get this straight. I just bow to Mecca three times a day. I do this, right? I mean, I can do that. I can do this list. Temptation comes in a lot of ways. Things that look, uh, they look appealing to us. They look inviting. We, are, we have to uh, be aware of the temptations that are all around us. As we've noticed uh, throughout, noted throughout the study, the route that Satan took with the Galatians was deception. They were told and they accepted that they needed to add to the finished work of Christ and add to the Mosaic law. And all of these things Satan used as a temptation to bring them back into bondage. But again, we, we looked at Colossians, I don't have time to read it, but in Colossians chapter 3, you can write it down, verses 11 through 16. And Colossians 3, it tells us, again, that these things, that even the um, original Mosaic law was a foreshadow of the substance which would come through Jesus Christ. And so we resist the temptation to live by the flesh or live by a list of uh, do's and don'ts, and instead we say, Lord, help me by grace for the Spirit to flow through my life, for me to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then God will give you a, a, a strong dislike for those things that you shouldn't be doing anyway. But better than that, he gives you a thirst for the things you do like, right? You start to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what Jesus said. Otherwise, your eyes are always being tempted with other things. And, and I don't think in our day and age, for the most part, now we do have people that are returning the law. It's actually a little bit of a phenomenon I've seen right now uh, returning. But mostly in our day and age, the temptation is to actually kind of go back to just kind of creating our own comfortable Christianity by our own definition. Not what's in the scriptures, but hey, this is my list. This is what I like to do. I'll give God a little bit of Sunday, every now and then Wednesday, special holidays. Might put a verse on my desk, but that's about as far as I'm going, right? And there's a temptation to actually carve out our own religion where Jesus is saying, come, take up your cross and follow me, which is to say, I'm going to tell you what I want you doing. We're not, you know, God does not actually ever ask me, hey, Tim, what would you like to do with your life? What do you think is most important in this world? What do you think uh, you should focus on? I have to ask him, what do you want me to focus on? And when I'm focused on the Lord, it's a lot harder to be led into temptation. 
Jesus was so fixated on the cross. Remember in the, uh, in the, in the wilderness, Satan's trying to tempt him. He's like, I'll give you the world. I'll give you this. I'll give you kingdoms. But Jesus was so focused on your salvation and my salvation, so focused on the cross, that the enemy couldn't drag him away. And if we're focused on the Lord, he'll do the same for us. We have a real danger of temptation. We have a real danger of deception. You know, things can uh, seem acceptable. We have, a, we have a society today that is changing the definitions of almost everything. True? It doesn't matter what definition society changes. If this doesn't change, it does not matter what society says. And it doesn't change. We can't be deceived. We have to be in the Word to know the Word. You know, there's a lot of times Christians will rationalize this relationship or, or God would be okay with this. And the Word of God says something other that's deception. That's self-deceive. The enemy will deceive, uh, I, I believe today, um, the, the Scriptures say, to forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but even what? More so as you see the day approaching. Question, are we closer to the return of Jesus now than 1976? <laughs> then why do people go to church less now than 1976? This is every denomination in America, including Calvary chapels. Why? Because they don't believe what the Word says. The Word says gather even more. Now, I'm not saying, well, should we get to a place where there are seven days a week? No. But your heart is the heart of gathering. And your connect we actually have ways to connect, aside from physically, that our ancestors never had. We can literally text somebody and say, praying for you. We can literally email someone and say, you're on my heart. If we're not doing these things, if we're not gathering together, then we are saying, I don't know that that really is all that important, which is a deception. Because the more we kind of distance ourselves from what the Bible says to do, the more vulnerable we are to attacks and to falling. So it's very important that we, that we understand that God says, hey, stay close to me. Stay close to me and you'll avoid these deceptions. You'll avoid these temptations. Now, as far as keeping the law goes, this was a deception that they could actually keep the law. I love what Jesus said in uh, John seven nineteen. 19. Um, see, nobody had ever succeeded in keeping the law, and yet the Galatians were now thinking, well, I think we can pull this off. And Jesus said in, Gal uh, in John seven nineteen, speaking to the religious people that day, he said, did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep it? Not one of you, he says, keeps the law. It's impossible. Aren't you glad that God has kept the law for us? I'm, I'm sure we've all broken it this week, probably today. But Jesus alone has kept the law. He's fulfilled the law. All those who have been saved, he's uh, saved us and freed us from the curse of the law that we can walk in forgiveness. We're going to mess up. We're going to self-deceive ourselves at some time. We're going to say, I don't really need to read the Bible this week. But we don't really say that. Here's how it goes. I still read, I don't have time today. The next day, it's, well, I think I have time, but this is a little more important. The next day, well, there's Sundays coming up, and I'll get a good dose from the pulpit. That's a deception. I could never help make your spiritual walk successful. I can't help you mature unless we're all doing the same thing. We're being fed by the Word. We're being fed by the Holy Spirit. We're deceived. So we, we start to dry up, and then we're easy targets for the enemy. We have to keep, uh, again, each, each, each and every one of us, we have to not keep in the law, but, but we have to stay centered in the Lord, centered in the Holy Spirit. And notice, again, verse 4, he says, You have become uh, estranged from Christ who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fall, uh, you've fallen from grace. But the word there, he said, you who attempt to be justified. In other words, it's futile. You can attempt to be justified. I can attempt to jump from the top of the Empire State Building to the top of the Chrysler Building in downtown New York, but I will fail miserably right? and never live to tell about it. It's an attempt but it's not going to be successful. Living in grace, what's well, not an attempt? It's the help of God, right? Living in grace is God helping us. 
And God doesn't attempt, he succeeds. Law-keeping, or legalism, we then just see the next, uh, the next thing that starts to take place. Uh, he says... Um, he says in verse 6 that uh, by faith working through love. Now the desire is that God says if, if we walk in grace, that it will produce love. But the opposite of walking in grace, walking in either license or legalism, license is do whatever you want. Legalism is I keep these set of rules, so therefore I'm spiritual and so-and-so isn't. Legalism and license, will they breed what? Pride, superiority, Right? All kinds of ego and position. Whereas grace, it breeds love and humility. Look at verse 15. Drop down to verse 15 for just a second. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So if you have an entire church, and half the church is in license, hey, we do whatever we want. Half the church is in law, hey, we, we keep these laws, and uh, you know, we're more spiritual than you because we homeschool our kids. Right? Oh, I just hit a nerve on that one, right? <laughs> and we actually homeschool, but I don't think I'm more spiritual because we do. I, I've met really godly parents who have taken other routes, and there's liberty in Christ for different things. Amen. There's liberty for this. And, and it's actually not only different for each parent and each family, but it might even be, might even be different in one family per kid. I'm not going to say that I'm not, that's a, not a doctrine. I'm just saying that we have to understand that there's liberty. So if we say, well, we're spiritual because we do this and you're not, and other people say, hey, I don't care what you do. Anything goes. I can live with my girlfriend. You can live, you know. And that, that's, we see these things in the church. And so you, all you have is carnality and lukewarmness. And what it turns into is people that are divided against one another. That's why our nation can't stand each other because we don't love God. And we're very prideful, and everybody thinks they're right. Let's take a look at what God offers, though. And that's real hope. Not only for us individually, but us collectively. I love verse 5. Look at verse 5. I'm not looking at this. We're not going sequentially. We're kind of looking at this as a group of verses because Paul intermixes. He kind of goes back and forth. So we're kind of looking at this as thematic, if you will. Thematic, not cinematic, but thematic. Verse 5, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Powerful verse. For we through the what? Spirit. Here's the part we don't like. Eagerly wait. Most of us don't eagerly wait for anything. We impatiently wait. We stubbornly wait. We ticked off wait. Especially... You're intending to get somewhere, and there's a traffic jam. You're not eagerly waiting. You want superhero powers at that point. <laughs> for what? For the hope of righteousness by faith. Paul's like, this is what we wait for. We wait for faith to build in our life. At, some, at the same time that our flesh, at the exact same time that our flesh and the enemy tries to distract us, deceive us, divide us, derail us, and if possible, destroy us. Most of us, and I presume why most of you are here this morning, truly do want to resist the flesh. I presume most of you really do want to resist the flesh, and you really do want to resist the enemy, and you want to grow and mature in the Lord. I presume that's why you're here, unless someone dragged you here. But most of you, I think, do want to resist the flesh, and you do want to resist Satan. You do want to grow in the Lord, and you want to grow in grace. We want to be, I think intellectually a lot of times, we want to be filled with the Spirit. Intellectually, we want to be less self-absorbed, don't we? Yeah. Who, who here doesn't want to be less self-absorbed? I, I, I want to be super self-absorbed. I want to be more self-absorbed next year than I am this year. I hope in 2017 I'm the most self-absorbed person on earth. <laughs> I would suspect most people want to be more in love with God, intellectually, but I don't know if our hearts are there. Sometimes we say things and God says, all right, you say that, let's look at the heart. We want to be more filled with the Spirit. If you've been saved, but sometimes you feel like your growth is like watching the hands on a clock, 
like that, that old-fashioned clock, not a digital one. It doesn't look like much is happening, does it? Like in, uh, remember those high school clocks in the math room in high school? You would watch that thing. All you hear is Bueller in the background and um, join the club. And you just stare at that thing. Is it ever going to move? It's been on the five for, for five hours, it feels like, right? A minute felt like an hour, and you couldn't see. You would even try and see if the hand, you could, could I detect it moving. You couldn't detect it moving. Now, how does something move that slow that I can't see it move? And yet time was actually moving forward. It really was moving forward. And if we remain and abide in Christ, we will move forward. We will. We have to abide. We have to remain. It says, eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness by faith. Understand that the same grace that saved us, it will transform us if we stand firm. Look back at verse 1. Same passage. Stand fast. Stand firm. Don't be moved. Don't be misled. Don't think that this isn't working. If I've learned one thing in being saved for now 21 years, I've learned that it's working even when I don't think it's working. It's working a greater weight of glory in us. It's not perceptible to touch, taste, smell, sound. It is at the spirit level, and I can look back and say, I remember I heard a pastor sometimes say, is that, which meal did your wife cook that was the most beneficial? And I love his answer. He said, all of them. Oh, yeah, you can remember some spiritual highs, just like you can remember the greatest Thanksgiving meal of all time. It was 1997. And aunt so-and-so brought, and how everyone raved about it. You're not living off that today. It's just a memory. You're not living off of yesterday's spiritual success or growth. But if you maintain and still follow the same things day after day after day after day, and even grow, say, Lord, help me to grow in them, even when you don't feel like it's working, it's working. Amen. It's working. Here in verse 5, we're told that the process of waiting on the Lord will not fail now or forever. He talks about the hope of righteousness. It's not a hope like, man, I hope I get socks for Christmas. I probably will. That's not an expensive item, and that's something we can afford. So <laughs> that's probably a pretty good, I, I can actually, but this is a hope that says like this, I hope Jesus is still sitting on the throne you don't have to hope. He is. I hope he comes back someday. He will. It's not like, I hope our car lasts another 50,000 miles. That may happen. That may not. Jesus really will come back. He really is on the throne. So this is a different kind of hope. Do you see what I'm saying? This is a hope you can put 100% lean on weight. You can lean into it, completely believe in it, completely trust in it. But we have to have patience while we let God work in our life. We have to have yielded obedience while we have patience. Edmund Burke said, patience will achieve more than force. Patience will achieve more than force. Say, Lord, I'm, I'm asking you, believing that, you know, you come to church, you might not feel any different later today, but God will bless it in your life eventually. It already is. Patience, the patient continuing to do. The children of Israel, they did the same thing month after month, year after year, and eventually they did take the promised land. But for 40 years, you would have thought, it's never going to happen, right? Abraham and Sarah, we keep doing the same thing here in Canaan. We keep serving the Lord. No Isaac, no baby, no Isaac, no baby, no Isaac. And all of a sudden, when they least expect it, boom, right? God will deliver. Patience more than force. D. Jackson said, when God ripens apples, he isn't in a hurry and he doesn't make a noise. Apples just ripe, God, he's not in a hurry like us. His desire is that it becomes sweet and really edible. And he wants us to become sweet, well, not edible, but anyway, we become sweet. <laughs> Giving up's not an option, brother and sister. I was telling the men... One of the, I think one of the Bible studies we were having with the men recently here, and I was telling the men that those times when you don't want to read the Bible, 
those times when you really don't want to pray. I mean, you're, you just be really, really honest with yourself. You don't want to. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to go to a men's Bible study. You don't want to go to the ladies' thing. You don't want to get together. You don't want to share a word of encouragement with someone because you're too busy. You don't want to give back to the Lord financially, even though he's given you everything. You don't want to do any of it. You don't. Don't feel like worshiping. Everybody else is in a great mood and worshiping like this, and you're like, man, I wish they'd put their hands down. This is getting on my nerves. You don't want to do any of it, but you say, but I'm going to do it anyway. Then you're growing. Amen. Then you're growing. Amen. You may not feel like you're growing. The times when you feel like you've grown one barely quarter of an inch, that's actually the growth. Not the mountaintops. The mountaintops aren't really the growth. The mountaintops are flashes in time that are a blessing, but they're not really the growth. The growth is, you know, when you become a great parent, it's in the tougher times. Everyone's great when everything's perfect. Not that hard. But the growth is in the difficult times. Those times when you feel like you just barely grew, that's the growth. I'm in the same boat as everybody else. Um, I've grown, I've grown a lot over the last 21 years, but it's always been imperceptible to me until I look back, right? I have to look back and say, oh, wow, that really has come along. But I can't see it in the moment. It takes time. There's still a lot of areas that I want to grow in. How about you? But I wait for the hope of Jesus Christ, and then that righteousness, that faith, he grows in me, and he'll grow in you. And I can wait with you in prayer, and you can wait with me in prayer. And we can together, not imperceptible, maybe it's imperceptible, we can trust and believe that God is growing us. And by the way, if you want to see me grow, I love this quote from Robert E. Harris. He said, if a church wants a better pastor, it can get one by praying for the one it has. <laughs> so that's my Thanksgiving request from you. <laughs> Three quick things here under real hope. Growing in hope. What does it mean to grow in hope as we uh, bring things to a close? Number one, we rely on the Holy Spirit. It says here, uh, for we through the Spirit. That, what does that mean? You just say, God, you pray, I, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. You have to confess sin, cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. Now help me, remind me of the Spirit throughout the day. It's the Spirit, not us. Number two, we've got to learn to wait. Now, when we wait, this doesn't mean doing nothing. Great example of this, Old Testament guy, Joseph. He gets thrown in jail, in prison. How does he wait? Sulking? Nope. He starts serving everyone in the jail. Because he's not waiting sitting on his hands, he's waiting with humility. He just serves everyone. So while you wait for Jesus to come back or you wait for Jesus to finally break, deliver some chain in your life or you wait for him to break something that is a stronghold in your life or you wait for him to finally give you the thirst, you said, man, I want to have a thirst for the word of God, I don't have it. Well, you can start just serving while you wait. And then all of a sudden, and one day God makes him king or second in command, right? One day. But all the time God was like, Keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting, work in the dark, work in the dark, work in the dungeon, work in the difficult place. Eagerly wait. God, if, you, if you, you can bring deliverance, I'm waiting for it. Patiently wait for it. And wait together. That's why fellowship matters. If you can't wait on your own, get a brother and sister and say, can you wait with me? Not that they're going to hang out at your house. You wouldn't want that anyway. Proverbs says, don't spend too much time in your neighbor's house. They'll get tired of you, right? <laughs> um, it's true. But uh, we can wait with each other in spirit and prayer. So wait together as well. And lastly, we have to believe. Hope is things that we put our trust in. In John 6, it says, the spirit gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. I can't explain it to you. The spirit is the spirit. It gives life. We have to trust in the Spirit, but then this, uh, this uh, believing in 1 John 5, 5, it says, he, uh, who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If we want to overcome, it starts with belief. We believe. We believe that God says, you know, wait it out. Ride it out. Serve it out. 
you'll overcome. I believe in Jesus. Overcoming our failures, he'll help us overcome our doubts. He'll help us overcome our apathy. And how do we do that? Well, we have to reread the Word of God. We have to reread what it says. We have to relook at Jesus. And we have to believe in what he's already done and believe what he will do. Amen? Amen. He will do it. Uh, I run now more this year than, than I have in the last few years. God's allowed me with my neck and whatever to run again. It's been great. I, I run now. I, I don't even like running. Uh, for those of you that do, I wish I had that love, but I don't. Uh, I eat less sugar, not because I would like that. I would rather eat cinnamon rolls every morning. <laughs> Cheerios are okay, and, but uh, I'd rather eat cinnamon rolls. But I can't. I'm 47. And so it just uh, my doctor says it's the way it works. And I think he's actually telling me the truth. I actually think he likes me. I actually think he wants me to be healthy. So I actually say, okay, uh, Cheerios, thumbs down on taste, thumbs up on, you know, running, really don't enjoy this. I'd rather watch other people run, but uh, it actually works, growing in hope. Last one, let me close with love here, real love. Because Paul says, the, here's the end, of the, the end of the story. He says, look, Satan does want to bring you back into bondage. God wants to give you liberty and a hope. And when he gives you this liberty and a hope and you start to feel the work of God happening in your life, he says the outflow is going to be love. The outflow is you're going to start loving people. You'll see the world differently. The person that, that ticks you off, you'll be able to pray for them anyway. It rubs you the wrong way. They say, well, they're so dumb and they don't understand how things work and this, that, and the other. And you'll say, but, but God made them. And I'm going to love them anyway. Now that has to work in the body of Christ as well as to the outside world. Amen. And we know this works because people in your own family can really rub you the wrong way, right? You don't have to go real far. You don't even have to go outside your own house <laughs> to know that love has to grow, that your liberties should actually help them feel empowered by the Lord, and, and you will actually love them. You, I've... I, I've learned that you will never beat people into doing what they should be doing. You'll have to love them there. It, it, it takes time to figure this out, by the way. That you, you'll never, uh, you will never Facebook argue anybody into anything. Have we not learned that by now? They can blow that whole thing up because it just not, doesn't work. But we do have to love people, and God has called our liberty... As Christians, we've been set free from all the bondage. We've set free from the sins that our flesh craves. Um, it, it's not that we don't ever have an attraction to him. Like, remember Lot? He was always looking at Sodom. Always looked fun down there. Abraham, he might have thought it looked fun too, but he just kind of waited on the Lord and resisted in the Lord. Make sense? So we'll still see that stuff, but we just kind of say, all right, I got to die to that. And he still loved Lot and he still loved Sodom. He loved Sodom so much, he prayed for Sodom. He didn't look at it and say, like Jonah did, please strike Sodom with a nuclear weapon, right? <laughs> they didn't have nuclear weapons then. But you know, you get the idea. Drop a meteorite on Nineveh or Sodom or one of the, you know, we have to pray and care for these things. And other people, it's interesting that legalism... It eventually leads to power struggles. Look back to verse 15. You bite and devour one another. Then you had, Paul says, I wish that uh, who, whoever has caused you to get off the uh, track, I wish that, um, that, well, he basically said they're going to bear their own judgment. You ran well, verse 7. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You were, you were running the right direction. You were making good time. You were up to a seven-minute mile. And then you got off course. And now, what started out as your religious law-keeping, now you don't even like each other. You're in, you're in arguments, you're in fight. Who's the ministry leader? Who's more spiritual? Who's this? Who's that? But legalism eventually leads to power struggles. It leads to hypocrisy. It leads to an increase in sin, right? Remember when there was power struggle in the children of Israel? You would have guys that would lead people away from Moses. And what happened to them? Well, in some cases, like the the Lord just sent mighty judgments on all of them, right? Because they got the people into all kinds of sin. But it started out with pride. It started out with, we're better, we, we know more. And Moses doesn't know what he's talking about. It was the case in the Pharisees' days, right? 
They had, a lot of, they had a lot of political clout and they had power, but they were full of sin, Jesus said. They were inside. They were full of dead men's bones. And Paul indicates that at the very same time the Galatians are focused on keeping the law, they also, with this liberty, have allowed themselves to create their own agendas. Brother and sister, in Calvary Chapel, none of us can create our own agenda. We have one agenda, and it's Jesus's. Amen? It's not my agenda. I don't set an agenda. I follow his agenda, and so should we all. We don't have any competing things. Internal kingdom building, you see it in, I worked in corporate America for 16 years. I saw a lot of internal kingdom building, and they were at war. We called them turf battles, right? We can't have that in the body of Christ. We stay humble. We stay under grace, uh, but kingdom building and law inspectors. We don't need a church of law inspectors. No. Law inspectors, they fight for position and power, and, and uh, what happens is hearts become more and more carnal in that situation. Pride brings many other sins into life, doesn't it? Pride brings so many other things that eventually destroy marriages and families and, and ministries. But liberty, liberty today, as I mentioned, uh, is much less of legalism. It's more of license. It's more of like, hey, if it feels good, do it, which is not what Jesus said. He didn't say if it feels good, do it. He said, follow me. And following him is not going to be popular in the United States culture, by the way. Not about what feels good, about what Jesus says is good. But a license in the church today is a license to be lukewarm. It's every person's personal blend. It's their own Starbucks combo. It's got like a bunch of different marks on the side of the cup, right? This is my thing. I'd like a double macchiato, blah, 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 you know, whatever, right? Well, God doesn't take our orders like that. He says, this is, this is everybody. Same thing. A serious, what happens is everybody's own liking, uh, everybody's own agenda, everybody's own license, everybody's own form of uh, religiosity. You end up with a serious lack of love. You end up with a lack of love for Jesus, a lack of love for souls, and that's why there ends up being very little discipleship, any desire for discipleship, and then there's no transformation in the church because it's all spent on rules or license and pride and everybody doing whatever they want. And so this is not healthy for the Galatians. It's not healthy for any church. Spurgeon said, I do not think the devil cares how many churches you build if you only have lukewarm preachers and people in them. Satan doesn't care how many churches there are. As long as the churches are focused on themselves, Satan could care less because they just have a household of people that are in sin and carnality, and they're no better than the outside world. See, lukewarmness will always produce infighting or apathy or both. And Satan's happy with either, isn't he? But when we're in love with Christ and not ourselves, it'll produce life. It'll produce growth. It'll produce works of grace, not works of, look what I did, works of grace. It'll produce love for one another, no matter what we look like, where our background is. It'll produce genuine love. You know, my buddy Sam, he was this Jewish guy with the glasses in there. He said, if you, he sticks in my mind. He always says, if you're not growing in love, you're not growing. And you can look at your life and say, am I growing in love? If you're not growing in love, then you're not growing. So you have to go back to say, Lord, I confess this. I want to abide in you. Edward Wilson said, love one another in truth, purity as children, impulsively, uncalculatingly. I think it's a word because my spell check did not mess it up, so it didn't have the little red. But what does that mean? Like, kids don't think about being, hey, I've seen kids do some of the nice things. Just, hey, I just want to give you this. Hey, that's your whole allowance. Adults say, if I give you this, hmm, what's that going to do in my life? Right? But when we love, it's an effervescence when it's from the Holy Spirit, right? It's not calculated. We'd be a little faith in the, in the Christmas season. Just say, you know what? That thing said give 10 bucks. I'm going to give 15 and really call it a step of faith. <laughs> Take that gigantic step of five more dollars, right? By the way, that doesn't go to us. That's going straight to these families. Straight to them. I'm keeping a penny of it. 1 Corinthians 13.3, you know it. If I have not love, it profits me what? Nothing. 
This church doesn't have love. We won't profit anything. We'll be just like the Galatians. We'll be just like an empty building, spiritually speaking, anyway. If you want to do a test of your love, write down these passages. Read these passages this week. 1 Corinthians 13, read the whole 1 Corinthians 13. Read 1 John chapter 2. And then read, to me, one of the most... It's, it's a frightening, powerful text. Read Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, as much as you never did it to any of these, you never did it to me. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When? He's like, that was me that you didn't care about. Right? Read Matthew chapter 25. Read 1 John chapter 2. Read 1 Corinthians 13. They speak to us on three different levels of love. And all of it is Jesus is manifested because he was giving out his life uh, to love one another, to love people. And this is what our liberty should produce. We close here. See, our liberty was given. Our liberty was given so that we would do what? That we'd rest in Christ. That we'd rest in him. Not rest on our laurels, not rest on our ability. We'd rest in Christ, and we'd be personally free from bondage. Not free from attack, not free from deception, but bondage. Because you can repel that but also that our liberty would be given to us, that we would be freed up to start to love people, to start to love one another, to refresh other people, to help them come out of their own bondage, to help them be set free. You know, Israel wasn't set free from Egypt to sit back and say, at least we're set free. No, God really, his design was that Israel would set other nations free. That was the desire. I haven't been set free to just hang out and do my own thing. God says, I want you to be in the ministry so other people get set free. And you too in your life. We've been freed up from serving ourselves to serve Christ and serve others as he did. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for freedom and liberty in Jesus. Lord, I don't even understand how it all works. But I know at the spirit level, it does. I know that when you change us, as you said, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And Lord, we're not only free from the curse of sin, but we're free to go against our flesh and to eagerly wait for your return, to serve while we wait, to serve others while we wait, to love people that are unlovable and even love our enemies. And we thank you, Lord, that this is a work that our flesh could never produce, that law-keeping could never produce, but that grace and the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit not only can produce, but does produce. And I pray that this would happen in every life here. Lord, we want to grow. Now we would obey you that we would grow. It's in your name we pray. Amen.